0: We're going to be in John chapter 20 as we last week went over the death and burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when we left last week, He was in the in the in the tomb. And today, what we're going to talk about is the resurrection. Although it's not an Easter service, um, for some reason, there's something a little bit more dominant about an Easter service. Um, what I wanted to do today is yes. We we get to rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ did not stay dead. Isn't that cool? He is risen. You guys didn't say it. Let's try it again. He is risen. One more time. Ready? I'll say it first, and then you say it. He is risen. Amen. He defeated death. He conquered the coffin. He gutted the grave. We don't have to be afraid to die. And the other day, my wife and I went to a Um, the Red Lobster, and they had this seminar, you know, on on living trusts, so we have to take care of that, because if her and I are in a car accident, or we're in a plane accident, and we die, um, then what's going to happen to our home and our kids, we don't want it to go to probate, and so you have to face death, you have to look at it square in the eyes, we're not afraid to die, why? Because he lives, we also will live, and so that's the power of the truth, of the resurrection. But the thing about it is so beautiful is that it's not just something that affects us when we die. It's something that empowers us while we live. Knowing the truth, uh, it gives us peace because the sting of death is taken away. That last enemy is defeated. But not only that, you and I get to partake of the power of the resurrection. And it's interesting the way that John writes his account in John chapter 20, um, he's going to deal with uh, Mary Magdalene. He's going to deal with the apostles. He's going to deal with doubting Thomas. And the way that I looked at it and I the way that I outlined it is kind of like this. In verses 1 through 10, we're going to see Jesus beating death. And so he defeats death, and that's a huge thing. But then after that, Mary Magdalene, she's weeping. She's crying. She can't see. She can't hear. She is completely depressed, completely down, discouraged, in despair. She can't hear even the message of angels because sometimes people get so depressed, so down, so discouraged that they can't even see the obvious. And what happened? What's the answer to all the depression? What's the answer? Not, not what's the answer. Who's the answer? Jesus. And he comes and he, he ministers to her. It's so beautiful. And then we're going to see The the, the disciples, they're they're behind these locked doors because they're afraid to die. You know, Jesus had just been crucified, and who knows? Maybe the Romans would want to crucify them, and so they're behind locked doors. And I was even thinking today, and again, I don't want to overgeneralize, and you guys have to follow the Lord in your own life, but uh, even this whole COVID thing, behind locked doors, afraid to die, afraid to go out. That's not how we should live. We can't live like that. When God has made us uh, in his image, and part of being made in his image is that we're social creatures. We were made to interact. We were made to get out. Uh, I was watching this special. I don't know if any of you guys saw it. It was on on ABC on, on fentanyl. And just how many of these young people, I mean all ages, but it's the number one killer of young men now, between the ages of 18 to 45. Number one killer, fentanyl. And many of these young people were introduced to this drug during this whole, you know, lockdown. Because we were not made to be like that. We were not made to be locked down. And so, as a result of that, so much has happened to our society. Jesus met Mary Magdalene, who was completely under depression. He, you know, blessed her heart, and then Jesus met these apostles who were behind locked doors, and he sent them out. He said, get out of here. I want you to go, and I want you to tell the world who I am. Not just them, though. In the end, you know, not just the depressed, not just the ones behind doors, but then the one who doubted. You know, Thomas was the intellectual. Thomas was was not a healthy skeptic he was an unhealthy skeptic he doubted he said man unless i see you know his unless i touch you know i i i need i need the empirical evidence and and you know what's so cool though is the lord met his need as well and the lord will meet the need maybe you're here today and you're a skeptic and you're a doubter listen if you would be willing to listen to the evidence and learn about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then God can come into your life and you can be a believer even as Thomas was. And so it's really cool. Number one, beating death. Look what you read in verse 1 of John chapter 20. It says, now on the first day of the week, and that's a Sunday, and that's, by the way, why we gather together on Sundays because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. It says, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so John, when he writes his gospel, remember 90% of it is unique. He already knows everybody else has Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. And so he's writing to emphasize something. He is a, a gospel writer who gets personal you know, whether it be um, you know, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 or the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 or the blind man in John chapter 9, he gets very personal. And so what he does on the resurrection is he highlights Mary Magdalene. and There are other women who went to the tomb, lovely ladies, to finish the anointing of the body of Jesus, but Mary was one of them. And when they went to the tomb, you might remember if you read the synoptic gospels that the angel said, he's not here. Why are you looking for the, the dead among the living? He's risen. They had told the ladies, but Mary didn't believe. And so we read in verse 2, then she ran and, and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you guys know who that is? John. That's John's humble but heartfelt way of identifying himself. And, and and she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchiefs that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but notice, folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, this is John the Beloved, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and notice, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not know the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went away again to their own homes. And so they start running that Sunday morning. First it was Mary to the guys, and then it was the guys to the tomb. I don't think John was necessarily bragging, but he's just saying he outran Peter. Um, I mean, he outran him, and he arrived there first. John looked into the tomb, but he didn't go in. And when Peter got there, he just, you know, like impetuous Peter is, he he went into the tomb. Some say that maybe the reason John didn't go in is because he didn't want to defile himself. Uh, Peter wasn't worried about that. And so then John followed afterward. They both saw the linen cloths. And so if you can visualize the linen cloths that were wrapped around Jesus' body, it was as if he had just evaporated out of them. And then the, 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 the the covering, the face covering, they saw it there on the side, it was folded. And so uh, interesting. If someone stole the body, this is not how they would this is not how it would look. And so um, they're looking. Uh, it, it's interesting when you look at this whole thing. Peter was puzzled. John at that point, however, believed. And you're like, wait a minute, you know, John already believed, didn't he? Wasn't he already a believer? Yeah, he was a believer, but now he was a believer in the full gospel. Because the gospel is Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and he rose again. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. And when you believe in the gospel, it's then that you are born again. And so John, at that point, is interesting. He believes that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, now something fascinating to discover, and I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I'm going to try to show you guys something. When you look at the different words that are used in the Greek language, and so let me just tell you guys something real quick. we got the word love, right? English word love, but how many Greek words are translated love? There's a lot. There's at least five words in the greek that are translated the one word love and the reason for that is because when god wrote the new testament he wrote it in a way in which he could be very very specific and so it's not random that when the gospel came that the jews were dispersed and so the synagogues were out throughout the world and the romans roman roads had been built so that people could travel on them and the Greek language was dominant, so that this can be articulated in a specific way. And so um, the same thing for love is, is the word see here. Now, now, notice in verse 5 of John chapter 20, it says, And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there. Now, that Greek word translated saw is the word blepo, And it means to clearly see a material object. And so John saw that material object. But then Peter, it says in verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. Now, that's a different Greek word. And this means to contemplate, to observe, and to scrutinize. And so it's interesting, same English word, but different Greek words. So there's a little bit of a nuance there. And so, you know, John saw it. Peter scrutinized it. He kind of looked at it, contemplated, observed it. But then when you go down to verse 8, it says, Then the other disciples, speaking of John the Beloved, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw, same English word, but a different Greek word. And this Greek word, oida, it means to understand. It means to perceive the significance of something. And that was at that point where he saw, wow, everything Jesus had said was, was true. You know, and it's everything came together. And it's at that point we believe that John was, you know, in, in one sense, born again. Because he perceived, he understood. And that's what's required of us. You know, we have to understand the gospel Um, Let me ask you guys a question. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know you're a sinner? How many of you guys know that? All right. Some of us are are worse, right? Do you know? Let me ask you a second question. Do you know you need a Savior? Do you know that? And, And okay, cool. So you're thoroughly convinced that if you were to die in your sins, you would not go to heaven. Because we need a Savior. We have to know these things, understand these things. And and do you know that all your sins were put on Jesus when he died on that cross? He died for our sins. He paid the price we couldn't pay. But then they put him in a grave. And then, you guys know this, right? And then on the third day, what happened? He rose again. See, when this is all put together, not just in your head, but in your heart, was right there where it says, John saw, I see it now, and he believed, and he was saved. And believe it or not, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is important for us to see. You know, they didn't know the scriptures yet. You know, in, in time, everything would come together. You read Psalm 16, 9 through 11, and David is writing, and he's writing about You know, the death, but he's writing about this body that will not decay. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Well, David's body died. David's body decayed. And later on in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached, or later in Acts 13, when Paul preached, they both alluded to that Psalm, Psalm 16, 9 through 11, that, that, that prophecy that said there would be one whose body did not decay the Holy One, not allowed to see corruption. They didn't yet know those scriptures. You know, when you read the Gospels, and I don't know if you guys want to write these verses down, but Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 17, 22, Matthew 20, verse 17, three times Jesus over and over again tells them, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Matthew 16, 21, 17, 22. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. When the Jews asked Jesus, because he went into the temple and he cleaned house, you know, and he was doing these things and saying these things and making these claims, and they're like, what sign are you going to show us to tell us, you know, to prove to us who you are? And you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 2 when he first cleansed the temple? He said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And they're like, well, it's taken 46 years to build the temple. What are you talking about? They didn't realize he was talking about the temple of his body. And then he did it again. And then, you know, you read Luke 11, 29 through 30, or or Matthew 12, 39. Number of times, Jesus said, this is the sign that I'll give to the world. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then that would be the sign that would seal the deal, that proved to everyone that he was who he claimed to be and that he did indeed redeem us of our sins. And what we find, you guys, and this is so cool, they didn't know the scriptures then, but eventually they would learn all these scriptures, is that Jesus beat to death. You know, on a personal note, and I don't know if you guys are able to go to Israel with us, but it is really cool It is really cool to look over there and see Calvary. You see it with your own eyes. And then to look over there and see the garden tomb. And to go into the tomb, you can see it with your own eyes. And you realize the body is not there. And I want to know something that's interesting about that tomb. When you go into that tomb and scientists have gone into the tomb, there is no evidence of any body decay whatsoever in that tomb. And you wonder, then, why did they even have it there? And the answer is simple, because Joseph of Arimathea, he allowed Jesus to go into the tomb. He was only there for the weekend. He rose from the dead, and they did not allow anyone else into that tomb. There's something beautiful when you go to Israel and you see it with your own eyes. You guys, we don't have to be afraid to die. We don't. Now, don't you know? hasten your death. I want to encourage you, you know, Eat healthy a little bit. Exercise. You know, I try to live long only because I want to serve the Lord. I want to be here for my kids if possible. But I'm not afraid. We're not afraid because Jesus Christ has beaten death. It's a really cool thing to know. You know, John chapter 14 and verse 19, he said, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, he told his guys, because I live, you will live also. And so we see, number one, beating death, what Jesus did. But next, uh, let's just say how Mary beat depression. How did she climb out of this? Look at verse 11. It says, but Mary stood outside the, the, by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down, looked into the tomb, And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and and saw Jesus standing there, did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. What's going on here, you guys? This is kind of weird. Mary Magdalene is being talked to by angels. I mean, she sees angels. And of course we know that a lot of times in the Bible the angels appeared they look like men, and so in one sense it may be understandable, but in another sense it's not. And then she even sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. I mean, what is going on here? And basically what I see is that Mary Magdalene, who loved the Lord, was absolutely overwhelmed with grief. I mean, it was bad enough that Jesus died, but her Lord was crucified, and now this. I mean, where's the body? Someone took it. It just pushed her over the edge. All she could think, all she could think was the worst. She was trapped in that. It was like a curse. Have you ever been there? You know, Jesus had cast out seven demons from her, according to Luke chapter 8, verse 2. And Mary never forgot. She was loyal. She loved him. But now, I mean, when he's, this is all happening, she's as low as you can go. She's just struggling. You know, David Guzik said, This is one of the few places in the Bible where someone encounters angels and they are not stricken with fear. It shows that Mary was so grieved at the loss of Jesus that she was unaffected even by the appearance of angels. And all she could do, all she could do was weep. You know, I, I trip out, to be honest. I was also thinking this, this morning, I'm like, why didn't uh, Peter and John stay with her, you know? I mean, here she is struggling so much, and more than likely it's because the only one that could help her, and and God knew it, was was Jesus. You know, all she could do was weep. She didn't see like John. She didn't believe like him. She couldn't hear what the angels were saying. In her heart, the Lord was lost. They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they've laid him. You know, even when Jesus spoke to her, again, she thought it it was the gardener. If you've taken him away, tell me where you put him. I will go and get him. When an individual oftentimes is in that state They can't hear. They can't hear the angelic messenger. They can't hear the teacher. They can't hear the word of God. They can't because there's something going on inside that's blinding their eyes and stopping their ears. They can't see a lot of times through the sorrow. So what ends up happening? Jesus takes it to the next level. And that's what he does in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, my teacher. And in that moment, in that miraculous moment, the the depression disappeared because Jesus, the one who had defeated death, came to her as God who is the personal God he is. And what happened in that moment is that her sorrow was swallowed up by joy. And I just want to say this to you, that Jesus can do that for you today if you let him. If you can hear, because I know Jesus, and I know the shepherd, and it says in John chapter 10, he knows our name. And if you can hear his personal voice reaching out to you today, that's what happened with Mary. You know, Isaiah twenty five eight says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. I'm reminded of that passage in Psalm 30 and verse 5, where the Bible says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, and if you're there and you're weeping, listen, the night will only last so long. I pray you would know Jesus is going to show up and bring you joy. And there you are, and you love the Lord, and you're loyal. Maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian and you've been faithful and things have happened to you and they don't make any sense and you don't understand and you're down and depressed and the dumps discouraged, and despair. Listen, I encourage you, please, don't quit. Don't split. Wait on the Lord. He sees your depression. He hears your cries. He knows your sorrows. He knows your name. And he will come to you. I pray. You would let God do that work. You know, when Mary um, saw that the Lord was alive, I mean she then, like Rabboni, and there's no doubt about it, she, she went to him and she probably, you know, clung to him in, in a way that she was not gonna let go and ever again. And so we read in verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. If I had to bet, and I and I probably shouldn't say this, but if I was a betting man, I'd probably say there was a hug involved. But Jesus uh, needed to go away to ascend to the Father in order to send the Holy Spirit. And Mary needed to know that, and the others did as well. And so uh, something else they they needed to know, as Christians, we need to know. It's interesting how he says, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In, In one sense, while he's saying this right here, he does two things. He says we're all part of the family. But he's also making a distinction, in case you didn't know that. Um, basically, when you see the Lord teaching us to pray, He says, "When you pray, say "Our Father," right?" But He never says "Our Father." because the way that God is His Father is different. There's a distinction in the way that God is our Father. He's His father, you know, by, by nature. He's our Father by grace. And so your Father, my Father, your God, my God, and again, similarity and yet distinction, Jesus in his humanity had God as his Father. And so there's something here, but the Lord says, hey, hey Mary, you go. And what ends up happening is the mourner becomes a missionary. And the beautiful thing about it is that You know, if someone was making up this story, they would have never chosen a female witness. They would have never chosen a lady to be the first one to see this. Because in those days, the witness of a woman was not credible in court. It wasn't. But Mary here, and I think a lot of it has to do with her love. Her love for the Lord. That she got to see something so special. And so she went and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord, and he spoke in these words. Imagine that privilege to be the first witness of the risen Lord. And so Jesus beat death, and then he beat this depression, and next he beats down those doors of despair. Look at verse 19. It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad, obviously, when they saw the Lord. And so it's the same Sunday, by now it's night. The disciples have no idea if, again, they're next on the Roman or Jewish hit list. They're there hiding behind closed doors. And Jesus just shows up. Some people say he walked through the doors. Others say maybe he just appeared, kind of like Star Trek type of thing. Um, uh, I don't know. All I know is that um, it's going to be different with our glorified bodies. You know that we're going to have a body like his. You guys know that, right? And so what do you think the mode of transportation is going to be like in heaven? I mean, I don't know. I think we probably still could. I'm hoping to have a 67 Mustang in heaven, a fastback. I bet you we'll probably be able to do that. Maybe we can, you know, fly like Superman. I'm kind of thinking that would be fun. Um, Maybe we can just think it. Like, I want to go to this planet, and boom, we're there. That's what Jesus seemed to be able to do. And there are these guys, man, and they are so afraid, so afraid. And the Lord appears to them and he speaks peace to them. You know, when you read the scriptures, you see that Jesus here offers his body as evidence. I mean, he shows them his hands. He shows them his side. And it's important for us to realize that when Jesus rose, it wasn't just like a spirit. No, he rose in, in, in bodily resurrection. The Jehovah Witnesses will tell you he didn't raise in a body. No, he did. As a matter of fact, Luke 24, 36-43, it says that he even ate with them. And so you get the full story. And as, and as they saw him, now they also believe. And he sends them out. Get out of these closed doors. You know why you live. Do you understand the reason for your existence? Is it just to have fun? Is that the only reason? Is my you know purpose for existence to do what I want to do? Absolutely not. Wake up in the morning, get on your knees, and you ask God, "What does He want you to do?" That's our life. That's God. That should be our life. He says, "Hey, you guys, don't stand here behind closed doors." Notice what he says in verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And over and over again, he's just talking about and something he wants them to have, and that is peace. Let me ask you a question today. Do you have peace? Do you have peace? Are you struggling, depressed, down, discouraged? Are you afraid? Or I even think this, that some people don't have peace because they're not doing what God has called them to do. And so he's telling them, listen, guys, you know, uh, Peter and, and, and James and John and, and Bartholomew and, and James, all these other James, all you guys, I made you to be apostles and I anointed you and I've poured into you and you got to get out there and start doing what I made you to do because it's then and only then, my friend, where you will have peace. And, he, he, and he, it's so cool. As the Father has sent me, I sent you. And so, you know, you're here today, and you're like, well, I'm not a pastor. Maybe, maybe you will be one day. I pray that God will raise up some of you guys as pastors and missionaries and you name it, uh, pastors, wives, and just amazing things that God has. But it doesn't matter whether it's in the church or out there. You are all sent. You are all sent somewhere there is somebody that God wants you to shine in front of and love on there is somebody that God wants you to share with do not commit the sin of silence right here the lord says hey as the father sent me now i'm sending you and he he breathed on them and one of the things that stands out to me when i read the gospel of john It's just Jesus' submission in his mission. You guys, if you read the Gospel of John carefully, you saw he didn't say anything or do anything or go anywhere without his father's uh, approval, without his father's marching orders. I mean, the, the father put the words in his son's mouth as far as what to say. And the Lord here is saying, as the father sent me, now I'm sending you. And God wants you to go, and God will use your life to save people. God will use your life to save people. And you might be like, well, I'm not good enough, or I don't know enough, or whatever it might be. And then it's so cool. The Lord here, he just says, and he just breathes on them. That's okay, I'll take care of it. And he breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And it's really cool. I mean, of course, that in and of itself is something that we need to focus on. Um, When you read uh, the Bible, and we went over this last Wednesday, when we covered the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is with you before you're a Christian, convicting you. And then when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in you to live inside of you. Amen? Amen. And then later, subsequent to that usually, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you for power. Pastor Chuck Smith said this, as Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, they were receiving the second part of the threefold relationship of the believer with the Holy Spirit. In John fourteen sixteen 16-17, Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit would be sent to them as a helper, he told them he dwells with you and will be in you. Now the Holy Spirit came into them as Jesus breathed on them. This was their spiritual birth as they experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And part of the reason I wanted you guys to see that quote is cuz you can read other commentaries and other Bible teachers and they won't they don't see it that way. To me it's so clear when you read the Bible. But you know, you're going to have those views out there. Later on in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, Tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The Holy Spirit would come upon them, which is what we read in Acts chapter 2. And so the Lord here, he says, Hey, I'm going to be with you as I'm sending you out to your neighbors and I'm sending you out to your cousins and I'm sending you out. You know, Henry was telling me about some of the nurses that he ministered to while he was uh, going through this surgery. You know what? Who knows? Maybe that's why you're sick and you're going to go have surgery. It's because God wants you to talk to somebody. I don't know. You know, but things happen, man. And you have to be open. And so it's so cool to see how the Lord will send us and he'll equip us with the Holy Spirit. And then it's interesting. He says, and as you go out, this is something I've given to you. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained, and that's why after service you guys come forward. I'll forgive you of your sins. No, I'm just joking. It's crazy, huh? Some people see that the Catholic Church sees it that way. They, you go to the priest. I remember I used to do that. Go to the priest, and you know that screen there was kind of weird. And I started telling them all my sins, and then he told me, okay, well, this is what you got to do. You got to say 17 Hail Marys and all that kind of stuff, and then you know you're forgiven. That's not what he's saying right here. Absolutely not. The Bible clearly says only God can forgive sins. It says that in Mark chapter two, verse seven. And so what we find right here is the disciples and the church are given the authority to declare what God does when a man either accepts or rejects his son. Listen, if you're here today and you got a ton of sins, it doesn't matter what the sin is. The blood of Jesus, can wash it away. But I know this, the only way that you'll find forgiveness is if you receive the Lord, you have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Acts chapter, you know, 16, it says uh, in verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then you'll be saved. But if you're here and you're like, you know what, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I'm good enough. I give You know, I'm a philanthropist or whatever it might be. I'm religious. I got baptized. I did my sacraments. I don't need that. That I can tell you. I can tell you. Not that I have anything special, but I got the gospel. I can tell you, you will die in your sins. That's all he's saying right here. That we have that grace to be able to share the truth. You know, if you're here today and you have not yet given your life to Christ, Maybe you're hurting or going through difficult times. I pray that today you would. Because look at what Jesus has done. I mean, he's beaten death. He can beat depression. He can beat down those doors of despair. And he can even beat the doubts. Look at verse 24. It says, Now now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. He wanted empirical evidence, observable, verifiable. I need to see it for myself rather than just hear it from others. And in one sense, you know, maybe we can sympathize with him. If that were you, perhaps you would have been the same if you're one of those types of people. But but eyewitnesses are not the only ones who can make a judgment, right? This last Wednesday, I got one of those summons from the Los Angeles Municipal Court to serve on jury duty. And um, part of me wants to get out of it, but part of me is like, well, Manny, you got to be a citizen. So we'll see what the Lord does with that, right? But listen, if I were to tell them what Thomas said, no, unless I see it with my own eyes, then they would dismiss me as a man unable to determine truth. No, we're not always going to see it with our eyes. We do need to examine the evidence. In this case, it would be from other trustworthy eyewitnesses. And then Thomas, well, you knew about Christ, right? You you were walked with him for three and a half years. You put that together with that. And, And I think God expected more from him. But Thomas, at this point, was an unhealthy skeptic. He didn't consider these things. But here's another one of those cases where God uses evil for good. Because in one sense, I'm glad that Thomas doubted You know, because God then is able to show us something that we need to see. You know, we need to know the case for Christ is not from some guys who were delusional with wishful thinking. No, these were skeptics. These were doubters who then eventually became unequivocal believers. And so we can believe them. In verse 26, it says, After eight days... His disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the risen Lord, he deals with the one who's depressed. He deals with the ones who are in despair behind locked doors, so afraid. And he deals with the one who has all those doubts. And when you open up your heart to truth, you find that it's true. It's true. Now, some say that this is actually the climax of the Gospel of John. It's as if the revelation just comes full circle and then Thomas fills the circle with what I would call a bullseye reply. Perfect. That's exactly the way you should have responded. My Lord and my God. I mean, clearly a declaration, a revelation of Jesus' deity. If Jesus were not God, he would have rebuked him right there. Don't say that, don't say that. But Jesus didn't say that because it was true. Jesus is God the Son, second person of the Trinity. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Jesus has risen from the dead. And the thing that I like about here when he tells Thomas, he doesn't just tell him to believe. He says, don't be unbelieving. You see, what we're talking about here is more than just what we do. It's who we are. Are you, am I a believer? It's who you are. For us, it's a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ and this love letter, this Bible that he's given to us. And so we see... The Lord here says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Any of you here seen Jesus with your physical eyes? I'm just curious. Probably not. But do you believe? Even though you have not seen him physically, you believe. You're born again. You're blood-bought, bathed in the blood of Jesus. And right here, the Lord says, you have a special blessing, a special blessing. And so John here, he wraps it up with the purpose of the gospel. He says, and truly, not lying here, he says, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And I'm telling you guys, it's not just life when you die. It's life while we live here, right here, right now, John 10.10, the abundant life that God promises to us. There's actually right around 35 specific miracles recorded in the Gospels. John, this seven of them. He calls them signs, but you know, there's so much more that Jesus did. As a matter of fact, theologians tell us that the Gospels only cover 52 days of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry. So can you imagine all the miracles he did during the public ministry of three-and-a-half years to over 1,200 days? I wonder if they're going to have videos in heaven. I'm not sure, but all this is written john said for one reason that you might believe and i know most of you here today are believers and i pray that your faith would grow i pray that you wouldn't just be sunday christians but that throughout the week you know we'd just be in love with god and follow him with a reckless abandon but but you know if you're here today and you know you're not a believer maybe you find yourself especially struggling uh, i i believe I, I believe this with all my heart that if you listen, you will hear God speaking your name. Just like he did Mary. Because I know this. He loves you. He loves you. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I know we covered a lot today, but Lord, I pray it would be simplified in the fact that you rose from the dead And because you live, we also will live. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you encourage them and your love. And if there's anyone, Lord, that needed to hear that that name specifically, personally called, that today they would hear it. You love them. And Lord, that they would respond. And just like Mary, Rabboni, teacher, teach me, lead me in life. I so thank you, Father. I love you. And I pray for all these beautiful people. And you bless them in everyone. Bless your church. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Amen.